I feel really good about what I do now. And that's all there is to life is feeling good about what you do like you, you know, it's like you make these big changes and you're like, wow, why did it take me so long to make this change? I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on shifts that make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'd love to introduce our guest today, who is someone I not only admire and am honored to have on the show, she's just a really good friend and a good person. Um, her name is Janet Fouts, and she is an, a coach and author or co-author of seven books, uh, caregiver, speaker, and facilitator. And she teaches mindfulness and emotional intelligence to individuals and teams. Um, and it's I want to dive right in, Janet. So first of all, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah. Yeah, we were uh, sitting at the Rosicrucian Museum as we've done in the past, uh, as we went through the labyrinth. And you take groups through there all the time. Yeah, Um, I use it for coaching. I use it for my own personal wellness, to be honest. (laughs) Just walking the labyrinth. And and in good uh, alignment with this show, it, you know, every time I've walked that labyrinth, I, I have a little bit of a difference and yet it's the same labyrinth. Um, right. And so I would call that a shift unto itself because every, I mean, it's the same exact labyrinth, <laughs> but when you walk through it, you get something totally different, or at least I did. Um, what do you love about it and why do you take people through it? Well, the thing about labyrinths is, you know, people think of them as mazes where you have to find your way out. But the cool thing about labyrinths is you're going in, you're going to go to the middle, you're going to turn around, you're going to come back. So you don't have to think. And you can really be just where you are and experience everything that's going on around you. And you kind of soak in it. And I think I told you when we walked it this last time, some days I have to get all the way to the middle and then walk back before I'm fully present. It depends on what's going on in my life that, you know, in that moment. But it's a very powerful practice. And with a group, it's really cool. But individually, it's also really cool. And I bring a lot of clients there. It's, it's wonderful. Isn't that true to life? You have to sometimes get to the middle before you're actually comfortable there and can walk back. Right. Um, there's so much to be said about that. And, and also... Just the act of like meditation as you're going through it and uh, starting to let yourself be present as you're walking through it. And that I think is also what, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I felt like you're saying is like being present is not easy. And when by the time you get to the middle, it just finally like releases a little bit and you can, you can actually look around and spot the, the little, little idiosyncrasies or the beauty or whatever it is about each of these different situations that's so ap- applicable to life. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you see that applicable to life? How do you use that in your everyday 
business, life, um, just those kinds of teachings? Because you teach mindfulness. Yes, yes. And you know what I really teach is is kind of microdosed mindfulness, where it's really in small bites. Because people think of mindfulness as something that you have to have an hour to do. And it's not. Mindfulness is simply paying attention right where you are in this moment. And it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You can be mindful. You can be washing your dishes. You can be taking a walk. You can be walking a a labyrinth. Or you can be meditating. And the interesting thing is, is that there is a shift in meditation specifically that you can do a 30-second meditation and get some value out of it. But when you start being able to meditate for longer, say 10 minutes or 20 minutes, some people meditate for hours, there is a shift where suddenly you become more present and you're able to do that for longer. And it's really amazing and really freaky when it happens because you're like, wow, it's been 20 minutes and I didn't freak out and I wasn't thinking about my taxes. But you have to do that in small doses first. You have to incrementally learn how to do it. And then it aggregates. And then you can spend more time. And, you know, the the biggest argument I get from people is, I don't have time for that mindfulness stuff. Oh, yes, you do. You had time to watch Netflix for two hours last night. You know, there's all kinds of things that we have in our day-to-day lives that we're simply not paying attention when we're doing. And if we stopped and paid attention, we would get them done a lot faster, maybe a little more effectively, maybe a little more productively. We have to make that choice. We have to stop and ask ourselves lots of times during the day, is this what I should be doing right now? And when we can do that, then we can make a transition to, oh, yeah, I don't really need to be surfing, watching cat videos right now. I could actually be doing what I need to be doing. And ask yourself with the question, am I procrastinating right now? And why? Is it because I don't want to do that? Or is it because it's really challenging? Or because I'm not ready? Okay, figure out how you're going to get there. So <laughs> that's my mindless is important to all of us lecture. <laughs> <laughs> and... Well, so when I think of mindfulness, um, to me, it feels like it can happen anywhere. Like you could be actually watching Netflix, but you could be mindfully watching it versus, um, you know, um, like multitasking, like watching it while you're thinking about other things, while you're, you know, looking at your phone. Um, so a lot of things are the things I'm I'm suggesting that I do, by the way. Yeah, we Um, all do. And so, so (laughs) is that what you're talking about where you're being like, what does that mean? What does mindful in the moment mean? It's about making choice. It's about saying, okay, you know, I need to do this thing and I want to do it well. So am I going to pay attention to it or I'm going to do nine things all at the same time and do none of them well because I got to get all this stuff done. And then later you go, wow, I did all of that halfway or half of it fell off my plate. So I'm going to make a choice to really focus on what it is that I need to be doing right now. Being Mm. on this podcast, my phone's turned off, my doors are closed. I have a bunch of stuff on my desk like I always do, but I'm not looking at it because this is where I am and I'm here with you. And it's a choice. And that's really all mindfulness is, is making that choice over and over again. 
And mm. is this what I need to do? And why am I doing it? How have you seen some outcomes? Like, um, and I know some of it is internal, but what what are the out outcomes uh, externally that that you see when you when someone really embraces this? Well, it's really interesting because I I had a a client who's a very high powered executive who, you know, was at one of my retreats, and we did this thing called loving kindness practice, and basically, to make it short. When you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you immediately respond to that, sometimes viscerally, sometimes flipping them the bird, whatever it is that you immediately get angry at that person and you don't think, well, maybe they had someplace to go. Maybe they have an emergency. Maybe they have a reason to do that. And so I said, you know, we should just, when somebody does that, take a breath and say, may you be happy. May you be safe. Wish them well. And when we do that, we actually get a physical feeling of warmth. And it may seem silly, but it actually happens that when we care about someone else, it's reflected on us. So she drives an hour and a half each way on the freeway every day to commute. At least she did. And somebody cut her off. And she did the practice. And she said, wow. I stopped yelling at people. And she called me to tell me that she stopped yelling at people on the road all the time, which was something that she had habitually done and not actually noticed. And it made a huge shift for her to be able to give that a little thought and remove that level of anger and aggression from her life. And that makes a huge difference for all of us. Mm. So long story, but it's really impactful to just take that moment. It's funny. I'm now, you know, of course, I'm trying to be mindful while we're talking about mindfulness. So I've got, again, like head games of mindfulness going on. And I'm sure that that's what everybody, you know, goes through when they're first starting to practice this. Although I do meditate uh, quite often. It's just kind of funny that I'm, we're talking about mindfulness while I'm trying to be mindful. But how did you get into this? Um, I know that, and, and a lot of people who know, you know, you were a marketer. Mm-hmm. Um before uh, being a, a, a mindfulness coach, I, I, I believe, yeah, um, and emotional intelligence. What was that like? How did you go from marketing to mindfulness? I mean, at least it starts with an M. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I even wrote a book on it. But the thing is, is that for me, marketing wasn't really my initial joy. What brought me joy was community. So when I got yeah. into social media marketing... It was, wow, community. We can have more community. And I had great conversations and I loved it. But the longer I did it, the less I liked it. The less I felt that it was really human, that it really connected people. And I started to really dislike my job and be pretty miserable in it. And it wasn't just the products that I was marketing. It was the whole process. And I kept trying to find ways to really deal with it better. Um, And at that time, I was going through a pretty big crisis in my life um, where I became a caregiver. I found that I was really, really struggling to take care of myself. I was really struggling to find a way to get through all the things I needed to do to stay productive, to be able to care for myself and my family and, you know, still run my business because I had employees too. And, um, I happened upon a mindfulness best 
mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And the science of it really attracted me. Really understanding that there is a neuroscience behind mindfulness was like, wow, this is cool. So like I do with a lot of things, I really dove into it and learned an incredible amount and realized that I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And that what really brings me joy and what really floats my boat is seeing that transition in people when they realize that they can be happier. They can be less rushed. They can be less freaked out about stuff by simply making choices to be mindful. And it was an epiphany for me. And I've seen that epiphany many, many times since then. And I feel really good about what I do now. And that's all there is to life is feeling good about what you do, like you. You know, it's like you make these big changes and you're like, wow, why did it take me so long to make this change? So mm. you were, a, um, and you mentioned in there that you're a caregiver and, and um, now you work with caregivers uh, as part of your business. Yes. And I'm curious what, um, what that felt like as a caregiver for the first time, I imagine, um, not understanding where to go, what to do, how to be, what support system you have, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So then adopting this and how did that help you, I guess, overcome or create from that scenario to build something a little bit more strong, a little stronger foundation? It really came from um, talking to people and, you know, as soon as I tell someone that I'm a caregiver and I work with caregivers, they go, wow, I'm really struggling with that too. I mean, in the end of the day, we're all caregivers of some type and people go, wow, it's so needed. And wow, that's, that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it is. So let's do it. And that's harder. But, you know, I went down a really long road to get here and I learned a lot of stuff and it's made it easier for me to make it easier for people to adopt. So they don't have to go down this like huge long road and study at all these places to get there. That there are simple things that we can do. For example, we can just take a pause. The most important thing we can do in our lives is to just take a breath and pause. Most of the time, when we're really feeling pressed and we're really feeling stressed, if we take a pause, things can catch up and we can be settled. But if we don't stop, we just keep running on the hamster wheel. So there's very simple little things that we can do that do make a big shift in our perception of life, our perception of how busy we are. And then being present, bringing that mindfulness to it is something that can really make it easy for us. Or we can have it the hard way and we can just stay on the hamster wheel. That's a choice too. You know, part of what I, not part, all of what I love about that is the clarity that comes into focus the moment that you take that pause. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like the, the fog is lifted and the clarity arrives. Um, clarity around, you know, just anything. It's like this, this uh, well, to me, it's shiny pennies. My wife 
always says like, you are the master of shining pennies. And um, and she's right, but I've gotten better over the years. Uh, now they're just shining nickels and dimes and other things. But <laughs> Soon um, you go to quarters. <laughs> quarters, yeah. Silver dollars. There Let's go, go there. Um, y- you know, what's, what is one shift in your life? Maybe it was small at the time, but you, you made it. And, or maybe it wasn't small. And what you did to get through that was, was what? what? What did it take to get through that shift that really turned into something pretty epic for you? Mm. Well, you know, honestly, for me, it was making that shift to saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be in the rat race. I am not going to do the kind of work that does not serve me, that does not care for me the way that I need to be cared for. And it was hard to say, okay, I'm done with marketing. I'm not going to do it. Um, And it was really scary, but it was really great. And I'm so much happier now because I'd really reached a point where I wasn't happy and I was stuck in that. And um, now, you know, it's really, it's, it's been a big deal. And all it really started with was saying, okay, this mindfulness thing seems really hard, but I'm going to go to this retreat because I'm desperate. And I did. And it just blew me away. And that really was a turning point for me to making all the decisions I made after that. Wow. So the retreat has really helped to get you into what what questions you had and really answer some ways that you can move forward. Yeah, it was a way of finding tools that I needed to find, but it was also a way of making a commitment to myself. And I think that was really the pivot was saying, okay, I need to take care of myself. I need to do this. Even if it's scary, even if it feels like it might be kind of icky and woo woo and all of those things and all the stereotypes, you know, that we set on this. And then I was like, wow, okay, this worked. Well, now what? What's next? And that's when things get really exciting is when we can say to ourselves, okay, this is good. What's next? And then we keep moving forward. But we don't if we don't do that, if we don't take that risk. That's such a good point. It's, you know, for anybody that is listening, and I'm sure they're all thinking the same thing I am, which is, which is always, um, what should I do next? <laughs> which one of the 10 things do I have sitting on my list to do next? And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's interesting if you focus in on, like you said, taking the pause, it can really re- show up and tell you what that next thing is. Um, have you had the same kind of feeling? Yeah. You know, we don't pause enough. And okay, Silicon Valley, we don't pause enough at all. We don't pause for anything. Even a podcast, we don't allow air. We don't allow time. But if you watch really great interviewers on TV, maybe on TV, wherever, they wait and they give the person they're interviewing time to continue talking. And it's the most amazing thing when you can actually do that instead of doing the kind of listening where you're like, okay, I'm listening, but I'm really waiting for my next question, or I'm waiting to say what I think is really important, which is what a lot of us do in conversations. If we can just pause and allow things to happen, everything changes. 
and we learn so much more. We start to understand more because we're not thinking about what we're going to say next and what our answer is to that. How many times have we been in a conversation where, you know, we already knew what we were going to say to that person. We already knew what they were going to say. And so nobody ever actually had a conversation. And it's because we didn't stop. We didn't pause. We didn't listen. Amen. Amen. Especially in Silicon Valley. And there are, um, you know, the, the levels of listening that you're talking about here, which I totally subscribe to. And I'm curious if you can you can dive a little bit more into that kind of level three where you're so locked in on somebody and what they're saying. You're not thinking about what you're going to say next and you're just going to be present. And that conversation's over and you have nothing to say. What do you do? And how do you be in that situation? You know, there's always, <laughs> there's always something to say, right? But if you've truly listened to the person, something will naturally come to you. And if you end up with a big pause, let it sit there. Just let it sit there. See? Yes, everybody. You just felt the pause. Um, It's hard. That was awesome. It is hard. It's very hard. It is hard. hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know if my, uh, my parents are listening to this, but I come from a cultural background that is very, uh, very challenging <laughs> to to have a great pause. So I'm challenging my family on this. Um, you have a you have a, a, a bowl behind you. Yes. And I know people who are listening can't see what I see. I have a. I also have a. I have one bowl. She has like like dozens of bowls or a lot of bowls. I have a lot. Um, and I love I love it because it just kind of focuses you in on you know right immediately. Like I do it right before I meet with a client, and then right after mm-hmm. I meet with them. Um, it just kind of like locks in the hour or the, you know, whatever time we're going to spend together. Um, but you use bowls in your practice, not just in for yourself, but you use it in groups. How do you, I, I one day I want to get to one of those. I will oh, get yeah. to one. Yeah. How does that work? Well, so there's actually a lot of science around how the vibration of the bowls affect our bodies. And I won't go into long, geeky detail about it. But all of these bowls have different frequencies. And those, because our bodies are vibrating all the time too, that's what the atoms are doing in the world, then these frequencies affect us. And so I do meditations where people will either sit or lay down and listen to the bowls for like 20 minutes. And playing all of the bowls in succession, you start to kind of, tune out and get connected with those sounds. And it's a way of meditating that's a little bit more approachable for people because you listen to the bowls. When your mind wanders off, you come back. You come back to the bowls. You come back to the sound. And it's really powerful and very interesting, the effects that it has on different people. You know, they'll be like, oh, this is really stupid. We're going to lay here and listen to these bowls. And they get up and they go, wow, that was really cool. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting, the effect that it has on them. And, and um, for me, there's different kinds of bowls. There's crystal bowls and there's these. This particular one is a um, Tibetan bowl. And 
they have different sounds and the Tibetan bowls resonate with me and that's what I like. So that's where it goes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I kind of think about bowls as like massage massages for my ears. Mm. Um, it just, it just calms me. Um, and the, you know, something happens, you know, with the bowl sound that that's just super, uh, relaxing it really it, like for my, my head. Um, yeah, that's so cool. I'm going to get to one and, and we're going to put a link up so everybody knows how to like do these things with you as well. Um, one last final question I'd love to um, ask you about is just your love and passion for horses. <laughs> um, and you have a horse. You're going to, you were saying before we got on that you're most excited today that you get to go ride your horse in a little bit. Um, which is so awesome that you get to, you know, be with horses because they're so such spectacular animals. They are. But you describe horses in a different way um, in how they, um, how, how humans and horses can coexist and what happens to us when we're around them. Well, Tell me more, more about that. Horses, horses really are magical beings. They know what you're feeling, even if they're 20 feet away from you. When I go out to the barn, everybody tells me that she knew you were coming. She's nickering. She's at the door when I get there. We've, I've had her for a little over 10 years now, and we've really bonded. And when I'm in a bad mood, she's in a bad mood. And, you know, horses, they know things. If you're not paying attention, that's when they're going to do what they want to do. And if you are paying attention, everything's fine. And so there really becomes this kind of symbiotic relationship. You know, it's not like I go out and ride her. I go out and I am allowed to ride her. And she makes that very clear from time to time. And uh, it really becomes this kind of thing that we do together. And I'm very fortunate that I can go to the barn, toss her in the trailer. I can go for a ride in the mountains in 15 minutes. And we're out in the woods. We're, you know, at this amazingly beautiful place. And it's something we do together. And it's meditative. It's relaxing. And, you know, for her, I think it's just like, wow, great. This is nicer than being on a stall somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, we really, um, it, it's a relationship thing. And horses know if, you know, you like them or you don't like them. And they will respond to that. They're very much like, you know, dogs, not cats, but dogs, that there's a lot of loyalty, but they're also very intuitive. And um, it's really, it's a very cool relationship. I've had horses since I was mm, maybe six. Well, we could make that into a whole other podcast, <laughs> which we'll have to do uh, sometime soon. We'll tell everybody where they can find you. JanetFouts.com is the easiest place to find me. I also have a website called Nearly Mindful. And we have some meditations there. And and just if you want to learn about mindfulness and meditation. And all your online stuff. And Jay your, Fouts your... everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Janet Fouts. Very easy to find. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll link to all of that on the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. And sharing your story and congratulations on everything that you've done the shifts in your life and the awesome person that you are. I love hanging out with you oh, all the time. You, I'm looking forward to more, uh, more labyrinths in life together. <laughs> well, the feeling's very mutual. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Cheers. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.